Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And it's official. The 2020 season has come to a conclusion. What a year it's been for the stoppage, two rounds in, the pandemic, the thought of things not returning, the statement by Peter Volandis that would be back on May 28th. Things resuming going uh, quite smoothly for all things purpose-wise, I guess. There was a few small bumps along the way, Boxhead, but overall, uh, a great success for the game of rugby league and the NRL in the end to get through the season and um, get to the grand final. Yeah, job well done. <clears throat> Mission accomplished and uh, hopefully the game can get back on the rails again. The, the season didn't feel too indifferent once it got rolling and <clears throat> particularly post uh, the lockdown or the shutdown or whatever you want to call it, but... Um, no, a credit to I think particularly the players who have had to, you know, go through that uh, isolation. I, I guess what we all experienced for that four to six week period in New South Wales, I guess they've had to deal with that. Some of them for now close to thirty weeks, uh, which has got to have been difficult for them. And yeah. um, two pre seasons basically. No, as no well. doubt. And a lot of people say, well, they they get um, they get paid accordingly, and that's yeah. that's very true, but. It's just more the psychological uh, stress, I guess. Imagine sort of not being able to to see anyone outside your home for yeah, none of that your length of time, and you know there would have been a lot of things happen, milestones and weddings and yeah. funerals and Babies. births and yeah, a whole heap of things. So uh, credit, particularly also to the two teams that stayed outside of their normal residence in the Storm and the Warriors who. Just did an un- unbelievable job. Like for the Warriors and the Storm to both one to win the competition, and for the way that the Warriors played uh, for the majority of their season as well, they were terribly unlucky not to make the finals. I think they, you know, again if if the competition went for that extra four weeks, you know, I think probably them and the Titans would have been really pushing for that last spot. So uh, yeah, it, it, look for where we were at at the lockdown and for how dour it looked to where we are now I think we've all got to be pretty bloody happy and I think everyone's got to take a little bit of credit but uh, yeah it was, it was good to get the grand final on it, was, it wasn't the game I guess that we're all hoping for in terms of the excitement unless you're a Melbourne fan like you are but I wouldn't uh, say I was excited by the game unfortunately I'm still with you on that side as far as viewing was concerned it wasn't the greatest grand final that's for sure no um, but yeah result- and look most of that was down to the way that Penrith played but we're going we're gonna to go and cut that up in a minute, but uh, no, all in all, a good season, a good result, very thankful that we got through, very thankful that we had plenty of footy to watch, very thankful that we even got to sit down and watch the grand final, so that was my 21st in a row, and I thought, well, the streak's going to come to an end this year due to COVID, but pretty lucky that we, we got there and we, we got to sit down and, uh, and, and actually watch it, so well, yeah, lost- I think we've all got things to be thankful for, and um, we need to look at the positives. And, and then now, I guess the wider thing is, you know, Origin's going to be excellent over the next three weeks. And then it's the discussion's going to go on about where we are in terms of COVID and vaccines and strategies and numbers and 
when do we start training? When does a comp start? What does next season look like? Where is Origin? You know, all that is going to have to bubble along as well. So it's not going to stop. The flow-on effect from COVID, you're probably going to see it for another, I would think, at least for the next 18 months until possibly the start of the 2022 season. There's going to be some sort of flow-on effect. And then, you know, you're going to see it for four or five years for these boys that, you know, thought they were going to play Harold Matthews or... Um, you know, particularly our 15-year-olds this year who didn't quite make Harold Matthews or our 17-year-olds who didn't quite make SG Ball, who those age groups have then gone up. So they're going to miss another year of, of development. So there's going to be some flow-on effects for particular age groups as well. And I know that's, for a lot of the fans, you know, you're not really going to see that, but there's going to come a point in time where that's going to catch up a little bit. So I think we need to be trying to get on top of that as well from a grassroots perspective and, you know, it's it's even the conversation around. Well, do we have junior sport next year? Because I mean that the summer comps are going to get put back further, aren't they, this year? And because they're going to have started later, because the winter competitions ran later. Like eventually, someone's going to have to lose. You can't just reinvent weekends, and you can't play both summer and winter sports on the same weekend. So, yeah, there's there's a whole heap of things that are still going to have an impact on the game. But overall, a really really positive finish to the season. Yeah, and I thought, again, overall, the product was good. I thought the rule changes, for the most part, were a positive. Uh, still probably adamant and made the point a few times that when everyone was pushing for the ruck and then we were talking about less interchanges, I think we still need a full pre-season to see the product yeah. next year, hopefully, under those conditions, knowing what we're walking into to see what the game looks like before we even think about making any more rash changes, in particular with the interchange. Um, I think we saw... A lot of injuries, again, that were non-impact and whether that was down to the break and the four-week prep period, blokes, how they trained or didn't train during that period, clubs took different approaches, as we know. Um, you know, it could have just been freak accidents. We know that sometimes things just happen, but I, I really think next season we'll get a real idea of how big of an impact this rule is going to have when teams have had a proper off-season, which, again, probably isn't the case still. Because after these guys get out of origin, I think the bargaining agreement or the collective bargaining agreement for the players is they get minimum eight weeks or six weeks. So there's some I guys. It's, I think there, it's eight weeks. There's some guys there that aren't going to do anything pre-Christmas. Yep. I Nor saw, should they? I saw one or two of the clubs talk about bringing back some of their flag kids or development kids in November because they've obviously done nothing for the most part of the year, or some did bubbles, some didn't. I, I think it was the Roosters I saw the other day made comment that we just thought it was bad for our players um, to be locked in with no light at the end of the tunnel. So they released most of their 18s, 20s, let them go play rugby union, park rugby league. Some went back to Brisbane, some went back to New Zealand, purely because of the situation that we had this year. So like you said, there's a knock-on effect to all different clubs, all different levels, all different situations that are going to come from this season. But uh, realistically this year, you put your most part of your work in pre-Christmas, especially if you're one of the teams that missed the eight. You would generally get back in and have eight to ten weeks worth of work almost before the Christmas period, and then you're doing a little bit of maintenance when you come back, and then it's trials and getting ready for the season, whereas this year it's going to be probably the opposite. You're probably going to get some testing and a little bit done pre-Christmas. Yeah, I, I think the seat next season will be shortened as well. Mm. There might be some to onus. try and reset it. So, yeah, and, and they'll just push back the start date. I think yeah, maybe you're still going to have the same amount of training leading in. I don't think they're going to sacrifice preparation time, that's for sure. No, so it will be interesting, like, if you're, say, a Melbourne or a Penrith who's just played in the grand final with the finish date, 
three or so weeks later, plus having representative players, yeah. you're basically not going to have half your squad until January. Yeah, and then other people would argue that that happens with international footy anyway. So Yeah, to an extent. Mm. But just the overall rest or the turn- turnaround well, time. Last year, Great Britain and uh, New Zealand, I think, that would they play their last game the end of November? So, you know, the, the year before that, it was World Cup year. And that was that was the start of December, so it's not it's not dissimilar. Mm-hmm. You just need to make sure that those players get the rest that they they need. Well, in the end, we found a result one and two as we said last week. The two best teams made the grand final from two completely different situations. The Melbourne Storm, the Liquid Men from Terminator Two, just refused to die. Always find a new way to keep themselves up or to get themselves into the big dance. The Penrith Panthers, years of developing juniors, rebuilding this. Pathway which started with Matt Cameron and Ivan Cleary that who were brought in along with Gus Gould who fixed a lot of things on the club side of things. Obviously, a couple of years away after being fired and then coming back to rejoin Matt Cameron in the Panther situation. Tough year last year. Moved on for some big names. Moved on some guys that weren't performing. Blooded seven or eight kids. We've seen more players get blooded again this year and they've emerged as a, a team that should have their window open for the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, 17 in a row, an absolute corker season, but definitely not the performance they were looking for on grand final day. Beaten 26-20. Um, overall, like you said, clearly as a fan, if you're a Melbourne fan, you're happy. But for us, again, when you look at it, when you want to see a game of football, as a grand final as a whole, it was disappointing. Yeah, It wasn't a great game of football. And probably the easiest way to sum it up from all the complaining and people making excuses and carrying on, Penrith's first half basically torched the game. They torched themselves in the first half. Um, you can't make 10 errors, miss almost 20 tackles, constantly play 1-2 anytime they got an opportunity in yardage, anytime uh, they had Melbourne sort of pinned or a bit of possession, there was a penalty or something that kind of went against them and Melbourne just absorbed in the first half. Second half, I thought was the complete opposite. They weren't great. Penrith was still ordinary for about 20 minutes and then they finally strung together a good period there where they completed eight from eight and had possession for almost six or seven minutes straight, built some sustained pressure against Melbourne and got a bit of love. But by that point, it was garbage time. Yeah. It was too late. So uh, yeah, yeah, look, it was, it was rugby league suicide. I think it was, what, 18 errors, six penalties they gave away. So essentially, it's 24 possessions they gave Melbourne. Like Melbourne were going to need any more. They, you know, they were always going to be able to generate probably 50% of possession by themselves and Penrith just never never really gave themselves a chance. They sustained some uh, pressure and some possession at, in that last 20 minutes, but the game was over. Hmm. And Melbourne had a sin bin uh, and then another sin bin, obviously, with a minute to go. And, you know, the Penrith try, we're, we're watching it now, we've got the replay up on the screen. Like, the Penrith try was a clear obstruction. Yeah, ran around the back. That's why he ended up kicking it because he knew that he'd, he'd done the wrong thing and... Uh, that sort of started, I guess, what was the potential comeback for Penrith. But it just felt like any time they got momentum or uh, felt as though they were starting to compete a little bit or get into that or cycle. Got they just ball or got a yeah, chance. Just they just blew threw it. it through a pass to ground or they made an error or, you know, they put a poor kick in. So they've got no one to blame but themselves. Uh, you know, it was their worst performance of the season. And the sad part is, again, we thought they were bad against South. Worst completion. Well, they were. It was, it was the, the start of slide, though, wasn't it? But yeah, they. I thought that was the nerves or anything they needed to get out of their system. There was no way they were going to complete. Yeah, it. look, I think the majority of rugby league watchers would have thought the same yeah, thing. But they completed at sixty percent again at the end of the game. They barely got back up to sixty-two at one point. There, they're on the fifties. 
So if yeah. that, if you're going to be in that sort of zone, uh, and again, just lack like Melbourne aren't going to give things up straight away. If you get good ball opportunity, you've got to be patient. If you don't score, if you you just don't give a seven tackle set, or you don't put in a poor kick, you hand it over, you tee off on them. Penrith were winning the territory battle. They were when they did go set for set or cycle. Um, so if they could have showed a bit of patience and not made some errors, I have no doubts they would have been right in the contest or had a good chance. But yeah. realistically, at the end of the day, like you said, I think it was more what Penrith did to themselves more so than what Melbourne did. And Melbourne are just that team. When you give them an opportunity or you give them a sniff, they took it. And that's what they did. And yeah. for the majority, it all happened in the first half. They banked every opportunity they got. They got a 22-0 lead that no one would have expected. Second half, that scrum play happens, and they probably had one or two other opportunities that they should have banked to really close things out, but they gave Penner for a sniff. They got sustained possession probably for a 10-minute period for the first time, and at the back end, it was, yeah, sniff of an oily rag. They were running off, but um, it looks a lot closer than what the contest really was in the end, and they've really, like you said, got no one to blame but themselves. I'm not going to sit here and wrap Melbourne up. They were... They were good without being outstanding, that's for sure. But I thought Penrith contributed more to the loss than certainly Melbourne's performance did. That's for, that's for sure. Yeah. And then you know, the harder part, we went with hardcore Penrith fans. Our mates that are locals absolutely loved the Panthers. And the one thing that really struck me when we walked out, taking out that last 20 minutes, was they all said, who did you think was the Panthers' best player? And that probably really summed up everything Yeah. when you watched that game. For the first particular you know, 60 or so minutes, like, there really wasn't a standout. Everybody... I thought Yo and Fish were solid as always, but they weren't outstanding. But Kikau had an absolute shocker. The halves obviously didn't have their best night. May was the decision to play at centre, got caught out. Nath obviously didn't have his best kicking night and got caught out once as well. Martin got peppered a few times. like He held his own, but he wasn't great. There was just a lot of guys that we looked at and thought would have an impact on this game, but um, a lot of them saved their worst performance for last. And yeah, last 20 minutes, the halves came to life. There was plenty of second phase. There was offloads. Kick-out was damaging. Crichton finally got some ball and looked dangerous as well, but it was just too little too late. Um, but going through it probably a little bit more in depth, not as much as we need to probably for the last few years, but Penrith made that late change again. Naden to the bench. Everyone was speculating like we did um, to the situation of would you have kept Kenny for Coruscant? Clearly, they were confident in his health, so they didn't need to carry Kenny. They could have had another utility to cover multiple spots in Burton, say half, middle, centre spot, but they went with Naden and put May in again defensively, which to me, off that one Roosters performance, if you've played him all year, I thought you'd basically burn the bridge there. Not that I'm saying he didn't have the confidence to come back in, but if if you weren't going to play a centre or a winger, I just wouldn't have carried him on the bench. Um, I know they ended up using him, they had a bit of a reshuffle, but if you're pushing in on May, I'm not carrying a centre winger just for the sake of it with the players they had. I, I would have felt more comfortable having Burton there or picking Kenny or somebody else. That's just my opinion. But that's the way they went. Uh, Is it the right decision in the end? You you can look at it and look at how May played. He he wasn't great. He got caught out a couple of times. They definitely tried to throw some shots at him. Uh, The penalty try, that rule, even as a Melbourne fan, I I kind of agree. To me, you do anything to stop the try. I I can understand it makes people angry, but unfortunately, it, it is the rule. If you strike at the ball with your leg, whether it's your foot or whatever, and you extend it, uh, to me, I'd do the same thing. But uh, that's the rule. And it's ironic that the rule was brought in because of Billy Slater, which probably makes people a lot angrier, more so for that fact. But, um, yeah, it just uh, it wasn't wasn't the greatest night. I, I don't think the people that were coming out after saying it was a stupid move by Cleary, like, between him and Naden defensively, I don't think either of them are outstanding defensively. 
No, I agree. Do you think that. you get a better carry out of Naden, out of yardage? Yes. Do you get an aerial threat? Yes. Probably a better option. But it's, it's a pointless argument because we, we were never in a position to see whether either of those players would have had an impact on winning the game because no. Penrith were never in the game. They never gave themselves a chance to com- compete in the game. No. It was the right call the week before. Uh, and look, Naden got carved up against the Roosters. So yeah, I, I think I really think Ivan Cleary is justified in sticking by that. Why would you change a winning team from the week before? And that was why I don't know why they bothered with the whole thing during the week. It wasn't going to bother Melbourne. I don't know really why. You just wouldn't have gone straight for it and said, this is where we, this is the way we're going. Mm. I don't know if it had an effect on either of them. I doubt it did. They would have known internally. But um, starting with the kickoff, I guess, couldn't have been better for Penrith. When you put up a wobbler, it bounces. Branko Lee almost takes it in a touch. And then when he throws it back in, Felice drops it. Instantly got pressure. On, Pen- uh, on Melbourne and you're thinking if there was one way to relieve your nerves early for those young guys if they drop the kick off and you start straight and good ball that has to that has to make you feel good it really does but the first set ends up being pretty uneventful um, showed pretty much early they wanted to get left as much as possible a couple of simple one outs lots of switch plays where they look like they're going right and just tip back in the middle Melbourne covered it and the kick wasn't that great um, for their side of things Nelson thought he was really, really good for the majority of the game, but in particular early. Uh, Hughes, just really, really early. Playing at that space, we're talking about that little eye kick out space, trying to get him and Crichton, who at times can come up past the ball or hold or be a little bit disconnected. But, um, you know, Melbourne, while they probably weren't as good as far as the yardage, I I thought they played their sets perfectly. They rolled out. They weren't as dominant, but they kicked very well. And in particular, Jerome Hughes, again, the way he's developed over the year, his kicking game on the night was outstanding. He did a very, very good job in particular those exit kicks, the pierce kick that everyone hates that you probably put up from that 50 zone and trying to drop it inside the 10. Um, you know, they did a good job. Got themselves down there. Coruscant, play one error off a quick play of the ball. Ducks out. Football loses it in contact with a marker that he thought he had off who wasn't there, not square. Straight away, they give Melbourne opportunity. Two strong carries. Shift, they get Fox on the outside of Toto who goes low to let him throw that offload to Olam, who obviously, as we know now, he dives in and it, it turns out to be a penalty try, which, agree or disagree, unfortunately, that's the rule. I don't have a problem with what well, there's made no, There's no room for agree or disagree. No. The rule is the rule, and it was adjudicated as according to the rule. Yeah, and I didn't think so. he put Olam in danger per se, and I agree it's a frustrating one, but yeah, it is a rule. So, mm. um, whether you like it or not, it was the correct call. Hard to swallow early when you get first. But like set. it or not, again, like there was this big conspiracy online uh, that you know the refereeing was in favour of Melbourne, and no. I saw some comments like, "Oh, if, if you don't agree that the referees, you know, were biased towards Melbourne and Smith's farewell, then you don't know rugby league." It's like, yeah, but that was social media is not real life. Like, no. and all these people are jumping on and agreeing and agreeing and agreeing. It's like, just be strong enough to have your own convictions. Be strong enough to have your own opinion. Be strong enough to know that. The game was impartially refereed. Oh, look, I thought there was a few calls there that were a bit iffy either way, but that happens in every game. You know, I, I thought the biggest blunder of the night was the Panthers' try, the first try. That was a clear obstruction. Like, he ran around the back of him. Uh, that's been penalised every day of the year. You the yo one later. Yeah. yeah. Like, so if we're really going to carve up and look at blunders, you know, like, if there was a conspiracy, they would have, um, he would have blown that up on the field. Mm. Uh, I just thought, I thought Sutton... Wasn't the man for the job. He he proved that he wasn't the man for the job. He got too involved in the game. Uh, he reviewed but, everything. But as well. I, I I do believe that the Penrith players were the most to blame for the 
lack of quality in the game. And I'm not sure it was the referees to blame for them dropping the ball and not executing and missing tackles and not playing the ball correctly and, you know, missing tackles on their inside shoulder and not defending as a unit and, you know, all the simple fundamental things that they would have been uh, really expecting themselves to, to do as they had for the 17 weeks previous when they won 17 in a row. Mm. And the, the best the best thing of the night, uh, from my perspective, was how Ivan handled the press conference and just said, yeah, listen... Total accountability. Just, this, this, it is what it is. Like, we didn't play well. It hurts. You know, it, I, I can't explain it, but we weren't good enough. Melbourne deserved to win. Not looking for an excuse, not looking to blame anyone. Move on. That's where the Panthers organisation is at at the moment. And I think there's a few Panthers fans that really need to get on board with that. And instead of thinking there's a big conspiracy, uh, they, they just need to get on with it. One team was going to win and one team was going to lose in this game. And unfortunately for Penrith... I do believe they were the better side all year, but on the night they were significantly um, off their best and got what they deserved. Mm. Simple as that. Yep. But yeah, from that. And start, you can cut it. You can analyze it for hours and hours and hours. Mm. But 18, 18 errors, like it's unbelievable. Mm. And in particular, like I said the first Huge. half which is where it really got them. But yeah, to concede that one early, uh, Melbourne given an opportunity straight away. Next set, they make a play on. Play two, they got them short on the left-hand side. They shifted to Kenny, he throws a bad pass. Straight away, they invite him back into good ball. Um, 30 out. They get another repeat set. Second time there, they get a crack. Melbourne scramble. They cover up one side of the field when they're trying to scramble and hit the left edge. Toto has to come back in field, go to the other side of the field, get into the corner. Almost looks like a try. Held up, but... Turns out, obviously, that Branko Lee can't release on his outside shoulder because Crichton runs that line. Yeah, watching live, I thought it was a dodgy call. And I was with uh, you, I was 50 Now, since seeing it on video, uh, Branko Lee was trying to get out. Steve Crichton just didn't time his run. No. And he prevented him and from going out. I don't like this terminology about outside shoulder, inside shoulder, all that shit. Um, the, the fact of the matter is he stopped in the yeah, line. And he's contacted. So, and, it, you know, would it then be okay that if he stopped on his inside shoulder and they passed the ball inside, it wouldn't matter if it was inside shoulder or outside shoulder. The, the fact of the matter was that he was impeded from defending the play. Mm. And like we said to you, when he contacted him, he gets across in the end to make some sort of contact at the end, but yeah. if he gets to release earlier... I think that's irrelevant. It shouldn't nah. matter. That shouldn't matter but, because but, if there's an infringement made by the attacking side, yeah, you've been it should be penalised regardless. You've been yeah. denied straight away. Yeah. But in particular, I thought like it almost summed this up... This shit about, well, it doesn't have an impact on the play, but well, it does. it's it's an, it's an illegal line. Because it stopped him from getting a legitimate chance at him when he was already burrowing in when he did end up yeah. getting across. So that's two chances straight away where they've had cracks, they had a couple of repeats there that they've missed out. The first set, they've just bailed it in there. They've been stopped on a scramble to the right edge to Toto back on the left. <clears throat> the obstruction play where they strip him of the numbers on play five. So twice they're in good ball. They've had 11 tackles to one inside the 20. Melbourne, same deal again. They absorb, they scramble well. They're kind of getting trapped in their own territory, but same job again. Come up with a decent set, nice kick, bury him back in 10. They made a real tactic of obviously kicking Edwards. Felt that if they got him play one, they could really slow things down, which did turn out to be uh, the case for the most part of the night. And, even with them getting sort of a territory win, any time they sort of felt like they were getting on top, they'd just make an error or give away a penalty and let Melbourne straight out of that stranglehold they were trying to get. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way it continued to play. And 
two or three sets there. They've got the control. Smith jumps out, play four. Berry's one of those kicks that we're talking about in the wet, straight inside the 10. Surprise, surprise, who was the kick for? It was for Edwards. They pin Edwards again, and they did a solid job, I thought, all night, pressuring Toto and Mansour. Toto in particular is probably a bit more so as far as his physicality and trying to shake off and get quick play of the balls, but there was no doubt a tactic. They tried to find Edwards play one to really try and slow things down, but um, yeah, I just... Oh, just, they just couldn't stay in the cycle. They couldn't maintain. They get that opportunity, play three, kick out, offloads off the ground, and that was just the start of the night for him. We had an absolute shocker. That invites Melbourne straight back in again. Kenny makes an error, play two, not much better, wastes a good ball opportunity, play three. They kind of roll up field. RP tries to milk that last tackle, which looks like a real negative, ends up working out well because Welch gets a touch. Six again. So straight away again, you're in good ball. Melbourne's defending back-to-back sets. They roll Yo after two or three plays, almost scores, get a third set in a row. And you're just thinking, just be patient. Sit here. Camp. Like, this is the, the third time they've been down there, got a back-to-back opportunities and a building pressure. And kick out. Just gets chopped. Crichton gets held up. They survive a play five kick. It gets cleaned up by Hughes. And it's that same thing again. Like, build pressure, at least they finished their sets that time, but Melbourne are just absorbing. They're just doing what you need to do. They're scrambling, they're yeah. not giving Penrith up on any plays. Too, Penrith were just too left side heavy yeah. the whole night. Everything was trying to get left, back left, to left. Left, 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 to the point where Olam and, and Ado Carr were standing next to each other holding hands the whole night, 20 metres in field. They, Penrith really only made Melbourne defend 60% of the field in good ball, and it was just, you know, and they've got a certain way that they like to attack at the moment, and they've got a... Um, They've got a style, I guess you would call it, and a structure that they're running with at the moment. Uh, and it just really isolated their left-hand side, and they, that's where they wanted to go, and that's where Lawyer, Cleary, Kikau, Crichton, all those guys are. I get that, but well, they just were not making Melbourne, Melbourne accountable across the field. And I thought, you know, regardless of where you think your strength is, you need to be still having shots on... Uh, on all, all parts and making all defenders on the field accountable, yeah. particularly when Munster's carrying a clear knee injury and like you want to spot him up and get at him and, and try and disrupt him. And Olam's got an abs- a history of rushing up and in. Sully does the same thing. Both sides of the field like to come in and challenge you, that's for sure. Um, but it just proved again, with all the sets and a couple of back-to-backs earlier and the pressure that they were building, they just needed some patience because Melbourne got one opportunity and they obviously scored off it, whether it be a penalty try or not, but for the kilometres they were putting into Melbourne and for the pressure they were building, it's now up to 20 tackles inside 20 and any of that cycle, any time they got that opportunity back down there to kind of capitalise on any of the territory or dominance they had, they just made an error. Yeah. They just kept releasing the pressure valve off Melbourne, who again, whether they were moving the point of tackle or moving Melbourne around or not, it doesn't matter because once you're inside 20, you've got to get something for it. Yeah. You can move up field on Melbourne. Plenty of teams move up on field on Melbourne, but you will not get any points for free. Yeah. They will scramble well from the inside. They'll hold down. We talked about it, whether you hate it or not. No one does better work in the ruck. Their three-man peel was incredible. They worked hard from the inside. Anytime someone fell off a tackle or there was an offload, there's just bodies there. There's guys around the football. Anytime it seemed like they were broken up, they just scramble so well. Mm. They cover up for one another. Pappenhausen wasn't the only one cleaning up kicks. Sully cleaned up kicks. Hughes cleaned up kicks. There's extra bodies where they need to be at critical times in the game. And that was what denied and. It obviously frustrated Penrith. It clearly got to him because that's why early on when you get those opportunities, 
things aren't really working out um, and they absorb so much. But, you know, those offloads, switching to the left, everything they were trying to do. Nathan gets a kick, tapped by Suli, back to them after they built pressure again, another back-to-back sets. Finally kind of relieves Melbourne of some of the pressure. They're inside their own half. They get a start on the 30. Cheese, they kind of get lucky. He throws an offload, which comes off a Panther, kick hours offside. It puts Melbourne straight back in a good position after all the pressure they'd been under and absorbing to slow things down and kick that penalty goal. So, again, frustrating period there where you've built pressure, you've had extra opportunities. Melbourne have scrambled, covered, stopped you from scoring two or three tries, and then just as simple as that, off a little bit of a tap back in good field position, kick the penalty goal, get to 8-0, get a bit of a breathe after absorbing all that, and, you know, just one of those frustrating things. They roll again. Got their shifts covered, kicks are covered. Um, you know, they diffuse, they hold up, they just keep scrambling. Just too good. And I straight off the back of that, Melbourne get a line break off the cheese. Smith kicks, you know, uh, just... It's a poor result when it hits Martin in that situation. After that, that would have been the perfect set after points, but what do you do? They get Penrith in good position again. Kick out makes another error. Puts them straight back into position there. All night as well off those scrum plays, we saw it with Pappenhaus and they tried that play that they ended up scoring off him coming basically off the ruck, drifting to turn someone on, looking to get someone on the outside. Obviously, it didn't pay off early in the game, but later in the picture, certainly ended up paying dividends in the second half, didn't it? Yeah, it's like it's death by a thousand cuts. You can go through every every set and every play, but you know they, they just couldn't build any fluency. No, couldn't well, build any pressure. Well, said, couldn't... Yeah, yeah. Then it goes the Fisher Harris hit after the scramble, and they get another penalty where they get themselves in good ball, milk some more clock, kick a penalty goal, puts himself in another great position. Probably the other thing that worked out well for Melbourne could have been bad at the time, but Welch got a bad head knock that he ended up passing a HIO for, so they basically got a free sub there. That cheap shot from Fisher Harris on Brandon Smith when it went on report. Gets him a free interchange again. So Melbourne basically only had to use two interchanges in the first half, given the circumstances they're under, mm. which gave him an extra change to go check on Nelson, which we saw. Um, it just all was working out really well. Hughes was having success and played very, very well, getting at that edge. Lou Iron Crichton a little bit disconnected at times. He got stuck in the line. Almost put Felice through a hole there after going through once or twice himself. Uh, yeah, they were, they were having a bit of love on that side of the field. But those free changes off the back of that, Six again, penalty. Melbourne have got the control after absorbing. Get a couple of subs on, playing with a bit of width. Uh, you know, they just solely when they get that opportunity at the back end of the half again, sitting there as we know likes to come in. We talked about during the week. If you want to be accountable, put a kick in behind, play early, try and get on the outside. He's almost begging that pass to be thrown. He tucked himself in behind. They're inside the 10. I don't know if Nathan didn't spot him or thought he was going to beat him on the outside, but as soon as he threw that up for grabs, you could just kind of feel it coming. The thing that's probably most disappointing when you watch the replay, live I was surprised he got back to his feet, but there was three or four guys around the ball. Someone should have got Vunavalu. Mm. Vunavalu catches that, hits the deck, gets up, changes hands, has to take off again, beats Mansour, and then he has a couple of guys there that he outruns. But as soon as that was up for grabs, there needed to be a couple more bodies in the picture. Um and I, I thought that was going to be the death blow when they got to 16-0 at that point in time. But as it turns out, the errors in patience paid off again because 
even with back-to-back sets and a bit of frustration that we're showing, there's another error there. Melbourne get another opportunity right at the end. And we were sitting there talking about it. Do you go for the two? Do you take the tap? They end up rolling. Nelson almost gets in twice. And then last play right on halftime, Coruscant plays at the ball where he probably could have chopped Smith's arms and got a knock on. He hits the ball directly. He just picks it up and waltzes on in. Yeah, with less than 10 seconds to go. It's just, again, another play where they're looking for an easy out and looking for a soft, you know, a soft out. And it just didn't pay off. It was poor and cost them six points. Yep. 22 zip on half time. And all of it, their own doing. Yeah, it just turns out to be critical. Error penalties, handcuffing when they had the two sets in a row, the three sets, the two sets poor kick results or Melbourne scramble and clean up and instead of being patient and just backing it up, there was a couple of unlucky unlucky things that happened, sure, but you just need to hang in and go set for set and get in that cycle and half time is ten four penalty count, missed tackle uh sorry, ten four with the errors, missed tackles are nineteen to seven. They've had the set restart count go in their favour, four one, because they are moving the point of attack and getting through Melbourne's middles, but they've lost the penalty count four one. They've got a sixty percent completion rate and they're down twenty two nil. Mm. Kikau was having an absolute barry. May obviously didn't have the greatest of nights. Melbourne, uh, your first half, I thought Dale was good off the bench. Nelson was obviously very good. Welch, Hughes, Sully in his last game. Very, very good game. But you thought second half, these rule changes, anything's possible. But that's a hell of a hole. That is one hell of a hole. But plain and simple, if they come out and be patient, hold the football, they're certainly making enough inroads. You just need to strangle Melbourne. Yeah. And something will come of it. And, they start the second half pretty much in the same fashion again. There's an error very, very early. And, you know, it just lets Melbourne straight back in. It costs them very, very early. Sully saves a set for him, and then Laota drops the ball. They burn their challenge. Initially, when I saw that replay, Welch had a hand on it, but the ball comes out when Welch is off the ball. He goes to tuck under. He drops it. You've lost that opportunity. And off that exact challenge and scrum play is the Pappenhausen play which she kind of felt at the time was going to be the death blow. Yeah, well, they went error, failed challenge into a miss on your inside shoulder. Handcuffing. 26-0, game over. Yeah. And that one Again, there... Again, all their own doing. That one there really hurts. Cleary is a little bit tighter to the ruck. May's up and completely disconnected. For the third or fourth time off a scrum, they've got to the edge with Pappenhausen to see if they can get on the outside. He knows he's got Cleary beat, and May's just up and not connected at all. He just went straight through. And once he was through, it was gone. Yeah. Game over. Um, you weren't catching him. 26-0 with 33 minutes left. You're just looking at that. They, straight away, they've gone to the bank. Short kickoffs. Um, I don't know why on the short kickoff, short dropouts throughout that second period, they kept kicking to Vunavalu. Mm. Vunavalu is not the one you're putting in short kicks for. Put it into dead space. Move your other players. Kick to the hooker midfield and, and put taller players. Come up with something to try and isolate somebody that you think you can get a contest on. I wouldn't be kicking to the best jumper in the Melbourne Storm team. No. Which didn't seem to make sense. But from here on out, I, I thought it was a little bit of a comedy of errors, in all honesty, for the most part of the half. Melbourne with Bromwich again, who didn't have a great night. He throws a forward pass at O'Carr. Munster has one early where he throws one out the arse and it goes over the sideline. You know, Penrith is scrappy. They drag Mansour off a scrum play back 10 metres. Melbourne don't help themselves. They give away a penalty straight away to relieve that. Penrith again, 30 metres in two plays, look like they're rolling. Kick out, drops the ball. 10 out. It just, 
Yeah. The completions, sustained pressure was just non-existent. Anything they got, they just couldn't get. And then off the back of that, Kikiao handcuffs three things back to back to back. He drops the ball. He gives away a set restart. Uh, and then they get a penalty with some of the frustration where I think May was pulling on Hughes' head. I thought it was a crush on the night, but him and Leota were yanking on his head and invite Melbourne back down. And they were very, very lucky out of that to dodge a bullet because I'm pretty sure from memory that was the set where Suley sneaks in behind Mansell, who looked like a BW trying to turn around on the highway. Yeah. Um, and luckily for them, he knocked the ball in. Because if they score again there, it, it, you might be looking at the the Manly Grand Final against the Storm, in all honesty. Yeah, that was sort of the comment I made. I, I could feel it in during the first half. Uh, and, yeah, it was just lucky, I guess, that Melbourne sort of took their foot off and Penrith just sort of got to a point where they're like, nah, stuff this, we're going to have a crack now. Um, and anyway, yeah, it just ran out of time. Well, that leads to their first opportunity. Um, they get downfield, back-to-back penalties, get a couple of sets. Yo gets that run where he goes in behind and puts the kick in. Uh, you know, argument or not, some but, said, oh, well, it's not an obstruction because he kicked the ball. It's like, well, they gained an advantage from where he ran. You just simply can't run behind someone. Yeah. And when you do... As we see in the modern game, when they run behind someone, they generally have to surrender and hit the deck and not gain an advantage. They clearly gain an advantage because they put a kick in and scored a try. Correct. Hell of an effort by Brian Toto. Um, smart by Yo with the vision to see the situation as far as the space was out there, but the, the fact of the matter is he's gone in behind and they've clearly gained an advantage from him running in behind and scoring that try. Yeah. So for all the calls, like you said, that people want to argue about, that's probably the worst one of the night, really if you want to talk about controversial, doesn't end up affecting the result. No. But the timing of it gives them their opportunity. They keep going back and forth with the errors. Uh, Melbourne, a couple of near opportunities of their own that, again, if they ice, maybe things are shut out again. Hughes gets another good run there. He's did all night. Gets Kikiao and Luai sort of isolated, puts Felice through a hole. He can't find a pass. He hits Munster. I think Brenko Lee torched one on replay. Live, I thought he did the right thing, not passing. To Suli, but when I looked at it live, he throws a double pump and Mansour's committed. All he has to do is tip that and Suli jumps in. Yeah. He doesn't throw that pass. It's another one going begging. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. When I saw that, I was blown away. The Fanukin kick was random as all hell as well, but I think from there on. Well, they said it in the post match. Melbourne were disappointed in their second half. Oh, they were terrible. I'm sure Bellamy, as we saw from his behaviour in the box, was absolutely filthy. Yeah. He grabbed the headset off at Riles at one stage. Their good ball attack was horrible. They were clunky as all hell. Their shifts weren't clean. Uh, that, that were disappointing. I thought Munster, in particular, out of all of them, didn't have the greatest night. He didn't do a whole lot wrong, but he no. definitely wasn't great. Him and Kenny Bromwich, and what has been our really dominant left-hand side of the field, didn't have a whole lot of impact on the game. If, if anything, I thought Pappenhausen's clean-up work, Hughes' subtle touches in his kicking game, Pappenhausen's scrum play, and a couple of our middles, like Welch... Had a really good game for me. Nelson's impact was good, and I thought Dale's energy off the bench was good. Yeah. Um, Nico obviously didn't get a run. Tino got minimal minutes. They more so played with probably 15. Even Brandon Smith. All those guys that I thought were going to make an impact generally didn't make a big impact on the game. No. Um, late in, like I said, late there, they had some errors or some opportunities, which obviously got Penrith in. And when Penrith started playing some football, moving their point of attack, they were getting two or three offloads. Melbourne kept scrambling. Kikiao come to life a little bit. Luai came to life. Crichton started to get some early ball, started to put a show on Branko Lee, one of which was obviously where he got him to turn out and scored that try. Nathan started to look a bit more confident. 
And yeah, they come after him, but let's let's be honest, it was garbage time. Yeah. Hughes gets binned, rightfully so, changes his line. Uh, they've got an opportunity there. They find another try through Mansour, similar pass earlier where they get Sully coming in, but he executes the pass this time for him to go in. And then on the back of it, you're thinking for Melbourne, you just need to get one opportunity here with 12 to close the game out. And Luai puts that bomb in too deep. Pappenhausen gets a seven-tackle set. Melbourne goes 70 metres downfield, and it's Pappenhausen who puts the bomb up that Edwards drops. And then Pappenhausen again comes up with the grubber kick that gets the repeat set for Melbourne to basically ice the game. Brandon Smith holds on for dear life at the end. Gets sent off as well, but it's too little too late. They score. They opt not to kick. They have one more crack off the kickoff, which is exciting for a moment. But, um, yeah, it, again, compared to the years previous where we've had clutch points or turning points, this was basically all done in the first half. Yeah, I like, I like garbage time run. Yeah, and Melbourne were dreadful in the second half. Yeah. So neither team was overly impressive, but Penrith damaged to themselves in the first half, and Melbourne capitalised on a couple of opportunities. Realistically, leads to the victory. Um, mm. We've had a few Fizzer grand finals in the last... We've had some good Five ones. years. No, Fizzers, I would say. I think the oh. Rooster Storm was a Fizzer. Storm Cowboys was a Fizzer. This one was a Fizzer. Yeah. Uh, Roosters Raiders was, was good. That was tense. That was tense. Uh, that was good. And then you'd go back to... I still think Sharks. you go back to Sharks Melbourne. That was good. Sharks Storm, for me, was probably... It was as good as the year before. The one, like, not not a pretty game, but as far as a dogfight and a war and the tense Went down feeling, to the last play. That was a really good game of football. But this one... Fizzer. One to, yeah. one to forget. I guess... You're looking at Penrith, I said it again. That last 20, I could pick a couple of guys. As were, but... to be fair, as were the two preliminary finals. They were two matches you could forget. I mean, the South yeah, Penrith Raiders. one was okay. It was ugly. The Raiders one was similar to this grand final. It was just over. Mm. So I, I think we probably saw... What weekend would you think? Oh, probably the first week of the finals was, was good. A couple of better games, yeah. Um, but we also saw a same sec- deal. Second week of the finals was, was good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And, you know, after this one, I guess just one of those things where people claim you've got to lose one to win one. Some people don't get back. But this side, the talent, what they've got yeah, you would think the so. last two weeks, if they're serious and with the group they've got, their window should be open for at least the next two years yeah. if they make the right moves. The production line the Panthers have got coming through. If they keep making the right decisions and keeping the right players and everyone is still buying in and sticking together as a group and things like money or ego and other don't come into it, they should be successful. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. this just... I honestly thought they might have got the cobwebs out in their worst performance the week before, and unfortunately they brought it again, particularly for the first they half. They slid further. In the grand final. They slid further. Um, the only time, like we said, they got sustained pressure and showed of themselves was a period there where they had eight from eight in the ball for almost a seven or eight-minute period and worked Melbourne over and got a couple of tries, but it was it was a garbage yeah, time. There were, yeah. Any sustained they pressure. They saved probably their, three of their worst... Five performances of the year for the yeah, finals. For the Even the, I mean, the Roosters game, they got away with it. Mm. But, I mean, only just. Well, the scary part is, I know I've said it again, they didn't play out of your year and they still Made a grand final. beat some teams up. So the scary part is they find their best 60, 70 minutes of football rather than what we've seen in games where they've belted Cronulla and they've probably played for 40, like as far as stringing things together and being absolutely up to scratch. This team has endless potential. Yeah. They could go on another one of these runs next year and really dominate if they can find more extended periods of time where they concentrate. And I guess that comes with a bit of the football where you play, where you've got a guy like a kick out who can be rocks or diamonds, or we saw 
some passes or some errors that are wayward in a couple of those guys can get a little bit loose. But um, I just think more the fashion of the way they lost would be more disappointing. It wasn't a hard-fought war or a close result or a scrap with a team with a couple of you know veterans or grand final experience. They basically just torched themselves in the first half. They really, really did. Mm. Um, and all the guys you thought would be key players didn't have good games. I thought Kickout in particular after the week off and getting suspended really owed it to them and he would have been keen to have an absolute perler. He ends up making five errors. I think he gave away two penalties and a set restart. So there alone, he's eight sets given away or eight possessions extra that you've heaped on top. And even with Melbourne, just punish themselves at the back end of the game with errors, penalties, the sin bins. Penrith end up getting 48 sets to Melbourne's 39. And even with all the extra sets, their completion rate still ends up only. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. They've been 68 for the game. For the most part, they were under 60 for the whole time. Defensively, the missed tackles and everything evens out. But when we talk about justifying stats and the offloads and people go, oh, they had more offloads, more tackle breaks, as many missed tackles, all that comes in the last 10, 15 minutes again with no players on the field, scrambling, ineffective tackles, the offloading, like all those stats when you look at it and go, oh, well, Penrith did better. Like, well, it's again, it's irrelevant when you actually put it in context of the game. The only thing that stood out for me, and we spoke about it earlier, was kick return meters or set starting in territory. They generally had better starting positions than Melbourne, but because of those errors and penalties, they could never capitalize on it or build sustained pressure to punish Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and in the end, like I said, yeah, figuring out who was their better player. If you want to talk about consistency throughout the game, I thought Yo and Fisher-Harris were good again. They weren't outstanding. But all those other guys you generally speak about uh, across the board didn't have good games. Luai and Nath had a big involvement in the last 15 to 20. Crichton got heaps of good ball in the last 20. But that yeah, when, they, when our Panther mates turned up at the end, and asked us that question, I thought that was pretty telling from their perspective when they said we honestly couldn't really pick who stood out for Penrith. Whereas, yeah, for Melbourne, a lot of guys weren't that great either, but Pappenhausen was obviously outstanding. His clean-up work, a couple of critical plays, the touch finder that Nathan doesn't kick out and he saves, repeat yeah. sets, cleaning up the one that Mansour almost scored. Like, he, he was outstanding. Surely, his work defensively, his yardage work, the try off the intercept and anticipating Nelson, who I'm frustrated with at times. I think has been really good during the final series. Dale's effort, Welch's effort. Like it's just there was more of that kind of work. Like I thought Smith was okay. He obviously kicked some goals and was okay in the first half, second half. Seven tackle set, missed the tackle to let Nathan score the last play. Probably didn't have his greatest game. Um, I thought Smith was outstanding. I'll be honest. I just the uh, little things, the game management stuff. Yeah. You know the fact that he just. Talks his side around, pushes his side around really well. You know, it's all that off-the-ball stuff that you just go, well, look, that, that's what Penrith needed. They just needed an old head to go, righto, we made a few errors. This set, we're just going to go bang, 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 kick it into the corner. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, that was... Well, again, on, on review, the one besides Papadou... What was missing? That stood out for me was Hughes. Hughes' simple touches, again, like run first, play short. He just kept them accountable on that edge. 
He got at Luai, kick out right in that space. He poked his nose through a few times, some half breaks. His kicking game was a lot better than I expected. Any time off the back foot, we needed a good result. He landed on a dime. They bashed Edwards inside 10. Um, he cleaned up one of the tries that needed to be saved. He, he was very good as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought Pappenhausen said it to you at the end. Wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Smith because people generally think like that first one, they're looking for a reason to give it to him. But I really did think Pappenhausen was the best player on the field. I didn't have Oh, no, that. absolutely no argument from me. He was. Um, but I he guess was. in summing this up, season reviews now for these two teams. Yep. Melbourne, uh, I guess pretty straightforward. Rough start as they always do. 2-0. COVID hits. They get moved away from home after playing one game, I think, against Canberra. They get told they're probably going to be at the sunny coast for a couple of weeks. Their second outbreak hits. They're not going home. Um, for the start there, they didn't have some of them didn't have family or their kids and whatnot. It's a rough situation. You've got to travel down every week. You're right, stuck in that bubble. You can't. One thing that people I don't think really understand is I think people think that all football players are best buddies and they all hang out and they do the rest of it. It's really not the case. Mm. Football is a job. A lot of guys there are no different to the guys you went to school with or you work with. There's a handful of guys you probably mingle a little bit with outside of training, but for the most part, when you go home, they don't have a lot to do with most of them. So no. you're stuck in a situation where you're surrounded every single day by those guys and your families and everyone's like, it's pretty hard to get some downtime for yourself, but obviously with your family and get separated from it. So to make of the situation what they did, outstanding. They really did capitalise yeah, on Yeah, they would have been living, eating, breathing footy. Yeah. And they would have been enjoying each other's company. I know for a fact, speaking to one or two people um, that knew some blokes in the camp, and I know one or two as well, that th- things weren't loose, but they definitely made it very family-orientated, tried to keep things lively. They had lots of internal competitions with sporting stuff. They had some funny nights. They had some music. They had a little bit of freedom not to get hammered, but they and had they're going to be there for the next 14 days, just off their rockers. Oh, some of them, yeah. Yeah, aren't allowed to go back or aren't going to Origin, but yeah. they, they really made sure that environment was conducive to everybody, you know, at least trying to keep spirits up. It wasn't prison camp. It wasn't just football and training, go lock in your rooms. You know, a couple of the players' wives, they said Jerome Hughes and someone else's wives, um, they're teachers, so yeah. they taught a lot of the kids. Kids were mingling, partners were mingling, all the boys, cards, darts, this, that, and the other. They just made the best of the situation. Yep. And the club themselves, obviously, Panisi, Craig Bellamy, and all the staff made a real effort to, you know, put some stuff in place so everyone enjoyed themselves. Yeah, well, they had to adapt. In the and end. And they've done a fantastic job of that. And go on, go and listen to our first podcast coming out of previewing post-COVID. Yeah. And we said, the tip get on Melbourne. Yeah. Because they will adapt to whatever they will happens. adjust the best of anyone and they had the most difficult circumstance outside the Warriors and they won the comp. That's all I've got to say. That was before all that kind of happened in the sense of just knowing what you know consistently. Well, they weren't there in Melbourne then. When things hit the fan and you need to rely on something, you would have been looking at Roosters on Melbourne. Yeah. And we picked them. It's all... We both jumped off off our original tips and said, get on Melbourne. Yeah. So... They've done very, very good given the circumstances. Obviously, a great year in the sense also that they didn't have it all their own way. Munster missed games for periods twice. Smith missed some games. Finucane was out for an extended period of time. They had two games there where they rested everybody just to roll in some guys, which probably benefited them that they got some squad games into some new guys. We saw Cooper Johns play a couple of games. Isaac Lumi Lumi, Aaron Penne, Chris Lewis, Shonig. Booth got a game. Tui was looking good before he hurt his back. Obviously, missed the majority of the year. He was someone they had hopes for. 
Um, Tino developed, and unfortunately, he's leaving. I thought Welch's game went to another level. Brandon Smith, I still look at him and the impact he makes playing at lock or 13. I know he plays nine for New Zealand, but I think the way he plays and his erratic personality, he's perfect for the middle. Yeah, I know he probably ends up somewhere in 12 months' time playing nine, but I really do think he's just an absolutely dynamic player, just in the middle, roaming, just slugging away. But um, Olam, another one. like He's not even an NRL player consistently last year. One of the premier centres by the end of this year. Branko Lee's bounced around to three clubs, six or seven seasons, showing glimpses somewhat of attack, poor defensively, a guy that's going to be a waste of talent. He's won a comp now with Melbourne. Um, Hughes, again, the question was, you know, don't let go of Croft. And I was one of Croft's biggest critics and said I'd rather Hughes, and I think Hughes has developed into a fantastic player. Yeah. I still think he's a manufactured halfback, but people say you can't win without one. They've done it again. They've won another comp. Yeah. Pappenhausen's full... First real season again this year. Now he's playing for New South Wales. Uh, the wingers, I thought Fox and Sully's starts to the year weren't great. There was talk of both leaving. That ends up being confirmed. But the back end of the season, when crunch time mattered, Fox for the last eight or so weeks was outstanding. Sully, same deal on the finals run. Nelson, frustrating at times, has his best run when it matters. Like I just, I think the stars align when it mattered most for Melbourne. Um, and even like someone like Munster, who I definitely don't think played his best football with injuries, form and everything else this year, they win. Yep, did his job. Smith getting needled on the run home. The elevation of Pappenhausen uh, was huge. Huge. And a couple of those guys just plugging in some holes. Olam on the left, their left edge, and the combination they built there when those two wingers found their form. Tino off the bench with Nelson. Dale coming back. Like Welch, I think I think more so all those guys just stepping up a little bit in the forward pack really brought a good rotation. But I mean, realistically, all right, I think the team sitting at home right now, the most disappointed out of anyone, would be the Roosters. Yeah. Because if you rewind to the weekend, if, if we wound back right now and were sitting here five weeks ago, whatever it was, we were previewing the last round before they played Souths, and, and I said to you that the Roosters will not win another game this year, and Melbourne will win the competition, you would have gone... You, you probably would have thought, well, Jesus, I, I would not have seen that coming. Mm. Not so much that Melbourne won the comp, but more that the Roosters would just fizzle out the way that they did. Definitely didn't pick that. Uh, and, you know, I, I, look at, I look at how Penrith performed last night, and it was clear that they just weren't ready for that stage. The Roosters were shooting for three in a row. And their their best football during the year would have won that competition on Sunday night. Yeah. So I, I think they should be the club who regret that result on the weekend the most. Not Penrith. Because, I, I you know, I, I, just, I firmly believe that Penrith just need to play the best teams more, more often. Like just, just getting on the field in a big game against Melbourne is the best development that all those Penrith boys are going to get. Well, I think now, again, with more of them getting the rep football Huge. too. Huge. With Yo, Lua, Just, and I said that, that to the Penrith boys. You know, we were coming back on the bus after the the South game, the preliminary final. They, they were sort of, you know, they were, they were a little bit boyish. You know, we didn't play well tonight, but we'll be ready next week and we can get Melbourne. And, I, you know, I, I sit there pretty impartial. I, I don't like to lecture and, and don't like to really push my opinion on people. But my whole take on it and my, my headspace was, well, Win by 50, lose by 50 next week. The Penrith organisation is going to be in a far better position because they are yeah. playing the best club 
best rugby league club side organisation since the Dragons that won 11 premierships in a row. You are on the same level as that organisation. That, that is an achievement in itself. And from an on-field perspective, they got a lesson the other night. And the, if, if they go away, and I have no doubt that they're going to do this, go away and review it, take the learns from it, use it as motivation, develop, they're going to be in a far, far better position next year. And, and ready to try and step up and, you know, at least try and take some of the uh, the success away from the likes of Melbourne and the Roosters and build their own little dynasty. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think the, some some Panthers fans are, you know, I saw some leaving after with 20 minutes to go on the, on oh, the weekend. Some left I, after Pappenhausen scored. That's you know, five I thought, minutes in the second half. Stay. Yeah, stay and, and clap your team and um, be proud of what they've done. Like 17 in a row, like that... The last time that was done was by the Bulldogs, and they were cheating. You know, it hasn't been done by Melbourne. But Melbourne haven't done it. You know, that's how, that's how good of a feat it is. I'm not saying that they're they're equal or better than Melbourne, but it's a feat that teams like Melbourne haven't been able to achieve. It's a fantastic achievement, and it tells you the the level of talent this that this side's got. Uh, but they they just couldn't get it done on the night because Melbourne have been there. A hundred times, and just know how to deal with those games, and that was that's the best experience that Penrith are going to get. Mm. And the more that they can play, you know, playing the Roosters in a big game, playing South in a big game, playing Melbourne in a big game, like they're they're three huge clubs, the three probably the three most successful clubs of the last decade. So it's it's great experience for the Panthers. So they should hold their heads up high, take the learns, and chew on it, and come back harder. Yep, we'll finish off on Melbourne uh, as we're going through here. I think the big question is good development through a lot of squad guys, got the best out of them, plugged in some gaps, found some guys that they've now kept moving forward. But there is a couple of big losses on the horizon. The two wingers have been outstanding for a long period of time now. Adokar, Suli Vunavalu, big holes there that are left. There's a bit of talk now that Suli possibly might backflip on the rugby union situation. Well, I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him either, and I'd be happy with the form he showed at the back end of the year, but that'll have to wait and see. If they do both move on, Lumi Lumi probably gets a crack. Uh, other than that, as far as what's internal right now, I think Latelli will go back to the Wolf Pack. Do they look at Nico to play in a spot like that? Maybe not. Does Momorovsky go back to the Tigers? I think he's off contract. Do they re-sign him to stay on board? Seve and Shandor are both off contract. I don't know if they'll keep those guys. Shandor's more been around as a bit of a leader or a teacher to a lot of those guys from what he's been through on minimum wage. Like... I think it also depends on what Smith does. Yeah, and that's one of the other ones. I so think. and that that'll work itself out. Word the other day they were going to sign George Jennings, which would be another cheap alternative to plug in. Mm. Ado Car, the floated moves there, or getting a player in return. The talk is now that the Bulldogs heavily interested have floated it to Remus Smith and to Melbourne, and that's something that might be a little more palatable. So this could be another one of these guys you look at and go, he's an okay player. I don't think he's that great, but if he goes to Melbourne. Do we see him develop into something? So there's two big holes there to fill if they don't. Tino obviously developed into a hell of a player, played every game this season. He's leaving. I think the one upside for them there is they had big expectations for Tui Kamika Mika. He started the first few games in the front row, had a bad back injury. I think him back in rolls somebody at least straight into the bench for that role. Yeah. I'm not saying he's Tino, but as far as the minutes and the job he was doing, um, I think Tui kind of plugs that hole for now. And yeah, the biggest hole of all besides those three is the one we don't know the answer to yet. We know that Cameron Smith 
is going to make a decision at some point, and we know they've got a hell of a replacement, but Harry Grant will bring, obviously, some subtle change to the style of play for Melbourne because he's not Cameron Smith. Yeah, He's a good footballer. He's all effort. He's very good defensively. He works his ass off. He's always on good on kick chase. He pushes in support. But as far as his craft, that of dummy half, his subtleness, learning to play with tempo, there's still some differences compared to him and Cameron Smith, and I'm sure you change that. You're basically definitely going to make some adjustments to your system. And then the knock-on effect from that, if they move on to him, is Brandon Smith. Do they share the nine role? Does he come on and play still as a 13? Does Harry play 80 minutes every week all the time? Like, There, there could be some drastic changes, but mm. possibly next year. They're both their wingers who are excellent finishers, excellent yardage, excellent in the air. Yep. Big, big pieces, a nine, and a huge bench impact. So could be significant changes. Cameron Smith might come back for a winner, mm. which then... Does Harry Grant leave with the possibilities of yeah, the Titans right. or the Bulldogs? Or does Brandon Smith leave? Like, there's still some questions around Melbourne. As far as gains right now, there's no one they've signed, basically. Uh, they've upgraded a couple of kids. They've bought a couple of kids. They've got two development kids. One, Jonah Pezzett, who was an SG ball half, who moved up to flag level for Newcastle. They've got Noah Griffiths they've had for a few years now, who was a New South Wales 18s half at the age of 16 from Bathurst. Tavalu was a young prop who played 20s for the Roosters. And Jack Howth was a player they've had internal for a couple of years now. He played Australian schoolboys as a 16-year-old. Mm. Um, he's a back row. So there's no real NRL-level NRL players. And external of their squad off contract right now, Cooper Johns, Marion Seve, Shanda Earl, Branko Lee, and Cameron Smith. A few of those guys you know, could be replaced by development players or those external. I'm sure they'll talk to Branko, but if someone offers big money or something there... I highly doubt they'll be stretching to hold on to him. Um, and yeah, Smith, we don't know. Yeah. But it's been a great year all around for Melbourne. It's definitely not their best side either. Um, out of the one, like the 17 side was red hot. 12 was definitely a different side with a lot of the younger guys. This was a good football side, don't get me wrong. But to think at the start of the year, if you said that Branko Lee, Justin Olam were going to play the way they did, Tino was going to be who he was. Um, a bit of growth in a couple of those guys and they were going to win a, game, a, a competition with Hughes at seven, well, I probably would have said no. Mm. So They've overachieved, definitely. Very successful year. For the Panthers, excellent year. Started off red hot, resumed red hot, had the very, very close game with Parramatta, didn't lose a game after. Had a couple of close games but found ways to win, knocked off everyone in the pathway and, and similar deal. Just guys you probably don't expect. Crichton starts the first few games off the bench, turns into... An elite centre, probably the most sought-after centre as far as off-contract players. Coruscant yeah. um, turns out to be the buyer of the year and very, very close to the best hooker in the competition for the season. Luai starts a bit rusty. Pressure from Burton, who had a couple of good games, blossoms into one of the best attacking halves in the competition. Kikiar goes to another level. These kind of guys also light fires under a couple of older guys. Mansour played some of his better footy in the last few years. Yo who I've been banging on for years to play in the middle, goes to the middle, was the best lock in the competition by a mop. Mm. Uh, and there's more than just that, obviously. The best completion rate in the competition. Liam Martin taking that Kate Wall spot and running on with it. The few glimpses we got at Staines. Toto, a few glimpses at Laurie. We saw Burns play a couple of games. Spencer Lonu's impact. Like, there was just so many positives from all these young kids who they've got at the moment on... Good contracts in a good situation, but after such a boom year, I guess it's more critical the moves they make moving forward. But regardless of the result, it was huge. Even a Tamiya having a good year and now moving on. Um, 
defensively was probably the biggest thing that got me. They were outstanding defensively. Yeah. While they were good in attack and they made have been left side dominant and That's age. showed some That's big maturity. improvements. They were so aggressive. Their play one twos, their set starts. They just want to bash teams. They they obviously probably could still clean things up a little bit inside twenty, but their intent in all other parts of the field and their aggressiveness and their will to win and especially some of the games how heavily they dominated territory with their D was the thing that probably impressed me most about Penrith this year, not yep. the attack. Um I'd agree, and that's because a lot of these boys are now hitting that hundred game mark, mm. and they're just feeling comfortable. They're about to hit their peak in terms of their careers, mid twenties. Uh, as you said, rep experience, big game experience. You, you build confidence. You become comfortable with the pace. The physicality becomes less of an issue. Uh, it, it all lines up to being more dominant and more comfortable defensively. So that's that, and that's what you saw. Yep. And also the fact that they were able to have the highest possession rate in the competition also helps. You've got more energy to defend. And that comes off your completions as well. Correct. Your defense and your completions. They respected the football by also using the ball. They weren't boring. They respected the footy for every game but two. Yeah, and, and they Unfortunately, well. that was the last two games of the year. Yeah, and that's the thing that we talked about with Parramatta you know, that year. 31 errors across two games. Mm. But also, like we said, it's one thing to have the highest completion rate in possession, but remember Parramatta running last. Yeah. You've got to do something with the football. Yeah, not, no, not but we're talking about the impact it's having on their defence. Yeah. The fact is they're doing less defence, so they've got more energy for it. Mm. But Nathan obviously developed also into one of the best players in the competition, I'd say, right now. Six, seven, nine, they've probably got close to the best. Yeah, I think one is the whole, and that's no knock on Edwards. He's a good player, he's solid, but he just doesn't have anything really special about him from one to offer. He doesn't have ball playing, doesn't have exceptional speed, he's a great worker. Safe under the high ball. He's developed a little bit of a pass, but the steps moving forward for Penrith next yeah, it's year. It's a big off season for Dylan Edwards mm. to really either cement that spot, make it his own, or you know Penrith are going to be looking at Burton and Staines, Staines. and you know those guys to sort even of Laurie's game against the Dogs. I don't think he's the option there, but in. just they're all guys that have got speed or another X factor that puts him in that one spot to be a bit more. Dangerous. One thing I will say, like Edwards is going to be in the thirteen. Oh, he's he's, um, he's going to play. He's had a fantastic season. But I've said it before. I think the Mansour why he played well this year. He's at a point for me with the guys they've got coming through. Mansour Farre, the two they're going to move. Their two contracts are good contracts that are still heavy that they need to free up. And yep. Tamiel was another one that was at the back end off contract was willing to sign for less but one or more years and they weren't willing to offer that with what they've got there, which I don't blame. So it's three moves there realistically for them. I think Naden, just given, again, what's coming through the pipeline, might be someone with only 12 months left that finds his way out the door. Um, but looking at realistically the team that played in the grand final yesterday, Lanu comes in to replace Tamau. It's just a matter of does he start, does Leota start or Tedavano start with Fisher-Harris? Yeah. Other than that, I think it's a backline reshuffle. I think Staines probably... Is the best option for the one. I think if Mansour does get pushed out, maybe Edwards just goes to that wing role where he carries plenty, he's busy from the back, he grinds. And as far as centre's concerned, if Naden's moved on, do they possibly try and convert him there? They've talked about Burton trying to convert him into a ball running forward or a centre to keep him in the team. I think to try and keep him happy with what's been thrown at him and how good he seems as a ball runner and a passing option, that, that could be the gut. Mm. He's a big body, he can run the football. I think these are all things they'll tamper with in the off-season. Yeah. The biggest question for them is, for what's off contract right now, there's no one really super important except Tyrone May, who we basically already know is going to be under wraps. Malachi Zalesniak's replaceable. One of the McGrady's. Dean Bloor, I'm pretty sure, has already signed with the Bulldogs. So 
um, for what they've got coming through. They've got plenty of cover. The big issue is they can negotiate now with a lot of guys for 2021, and they're going to have some priorities there. Yeah, Billy Burns, Matt Burton, Kate Well, Stephen Crichton, Mitch Kenny, Spencer Lanu, Jerome Luai, you know, Isaiah Yo is going to be looking and sought after by many clubs. Ted Ivano, you know, Farai, Source, Naden, again, I think they'll be gone anyway, but if not, they'll be probably not guys they're looking to sign out of that. And what they've got, they've obviously freed up some money, like we said, with a few of those moves and moving those guys on, but they've got Staines locked up for a couple more years now. Laurie's locked up for another year. Burton is someone they need to look at getting. They've got Martin locked up. Cleary, is obviously a priority, but out of all those names we just said, the first three I think they'll be looking at to lock down, obviously Crichton and Luai, but Lane is probably the other one. Yep. And yeah, I agree with that. Yo, now that I've seen that, I didn't say that one. Yo would be the other one I'd be going to. Yeah. Because Yo's still at that point where he's playing his best football, but I'm pretty sure he's about 27. So his best is still in front of him. Yeah. He's still got a couple of really quality years. It's not it's not someone I'm going to going to give you a five year contract as a middle player to take him through to thirty two, no. but he's someone I'm looking at going, we at least need to get two or three years probably on top of what he's got now. Mm. So they're it's the fine origin. Like Burns will probably be sought after he's a good player, you know, but is he replaceable? Yeah, but is he good depth? And that's what you get when you have lots of local juniors succeed and come through. Probably the worst part for Penrith is a result like this making the grand final this year, which is definitely not a negative, but it accelerates negotiations, pay increases for a lot of guys. Mm. So it's probably pushed the timeline forward for a few discussions they probably weren't wanting to have with a couple of guys. Yeah, um, but every club is going to feel that. But I think they've got players coming through. I really do. Uh, particular outside backs in the next couple of years. What's well, a no-brainer. They've got stacks coming they've through. They've got Young Tago. I've seen Zion Tawasa in the 18s. Uh, Sunia Taruva. There's a couple of guys I've seen that with another year or two in their system, I'm sure won't be too far off playing. Yeah. Forwards, Lindsay Smith got upgraded middle of the year. He's another good middle. This guy's going to be close to playing some first grade next year. Yep. Uh, we saw Lanu this year, probably pretty much rolls straight into that mix. They're, they're, they're very well placed again. And again, there might be a couple of bargain boys they move like everyone does for their, their squad. But realistically, they're coming back with a very similar side. <clears throat> Tamiya, I'm sure, had a bigger impact inside the four walls than what we know of, but... Nathan Cleary and a couple of those guys have played enough football now to be able to take that responsibility. Yeah. So, great result for them. Well, that wraps up their season reviews and the game review. Uh, a few small bits before we go. The flooding into the dog situation. That, that, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it did. Roosters, uh, he basically come out and said on the Tuesday, three days after the loss, did the review of the season with him or his season review. So, did was, he come out and say that publicly? Pretty sure that was the quote I read earlier saying yeah, that he, I don't, I don't like how, how public a lot of these... Plays air these things like just take yeah, your licks at the and the same move time. On. I think he's just more clarifying. You know, I was told pretty much straight away that I wasn't have to clarify part of the say future, nothing. But yeah, let the roosters do the talking. He's been moved on pretty quickly. Three years at the Bulldogs. I think he's better than what they've got there at the moment. Um, obviously, Barrett's been given plenty of praise for the job he did this year. So you'd want to think that if Flanagan's going there and it's better than the options they've got, he'll be able to do a job. Or Well, Flanagan's going to be the Cleary. He's going to run the Penrith system at the Dogs. He's going to be expected to play both sides of the ruck. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be a big preseason for Cole Flanagan, and yep. he's going to be the figurehead, and the, the bloke is expected to get that side around the park. So uh, a big, big preseason ahead for him. Yep, and the Roosters, obviously, with that move, and now moving on Puasa Famasuli, really trying hard apparently to get Joseph Sawali off the off the Rabbitohs. 
that seems. Well, I, I've heard all but on good. I've, I've heard on good authority he wants to go to the Roosters. That's well, done. They basically said similar deal that if he signs anywhere, he sat down with the West Tigers last that's week. That's one that thing. For, but for sure. if he goes to the Roosters, the Rabbitohs basically said we don't care. We won't let him play next year if we. You're not having yeah, it early. Well, so they're not looking to help the Roosters. He told out. Michael Maguire last week that he's not interested in going to the Tigers. He wants to go to the Roosters. Oh, if the Roosters came to me and the Tigers came to me, I'm pretty sure I know where I'd be interested in going. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a fair comment. I, I'm, I'm only I'm only passing it on. There's also where there's smoke, there's fire. There's still more kind of rumour or more word gathering around the Mitchell Pearce situation and the fact that the price cut there and the contract situation that possibly if he's going to be taking a pay cut and that situation's not getting any better, that he may consider coming back to the Roosters. Whether they've got the cap space, I have no idea, but they've seemed to have moved off a couple of players now and I don't know what they've got left in room. But yeah. um, up has now been linked to Newcastle along with Mitchell Moses already linked there. Again, it's all bits and pieces that, that have been popping up again, but the Pierce one in particular, the drum seems to be beaten still. That That's a possibility. Interesting, yeah. Farmer Sully, as I said. Dragons, two-year deal today. From what I've seen in small doses, he does look all right. They need a lot more than Poasa to fix their club, though. It's it's a guy who's played a handful of games in a good system who's now coming to a completely different setup where he's not going to be someone who instantly starts or plays big minutes or is a dominant figure. He can help, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a move. Eels are the only other one who I've kind of seen make some moves the last few weeks. We said they cleaned house uh, with a lot of fringe guys. Tom Opacek coming in, Isaiah Papaletti, who's still only 21 years old, um, and Joey Lussick, the third Lussick brother coming back. So they've got someone who's a steady hooker. I think probably the best of that pick would be Papaletti yeah. at 21. Went well this guy year. Guy who's like a power lifter and is still very, very raw with a bit more coaching. Um, Opacek in some of his games looked okay, but as far as squad depth, seems like they've made a few moves. I think the bigger moves from Parramatta are going to be development guys getting upgraded. Yeah. Which ones, we don't know. But they got a pretty good line of kids coming as well. Yeah, and I think the last thing to kind of finish off, uh, Origin squads are finalised. So I guess the interesting yeah. thing now, Tedesco has put a timeline on his knee. We've said it all along, but I think it has to be locked in now. If he's even considering picking Gutherson before Pappenhausen, Freddie's kidding himself. Yeah. I think he's crazy. Yeah, on, on form, absolutely. But they've got this weird sort of rule with Origin, don't they, that... You know, he's been 18th, he's been 18th, and uh, he's been around the, the group yeah, well, Right, longer. James has been 18th man a few times not played. Mm. No, I'm just so, I'm just saying, I, I get the feeling like there's a want to play Gutherson or to get Gutherson yeah, well, inside. So they all, I, I'd probably think they're going to play him at centre. but Yeah, and even that one, sort of. When I look he's at, out of position. So. Right or left centre, can he play there? I'm sure he can, but as far as the other options we've got there, I'd rather just pick a centre. Um, the only guy, again, that I'd play out of position there who again come through playing some centre I think plays really well there even though he's the best player at six probably this season was Jack White yeah no, let's not so, get into that discussion again yeah I think they've definitely got some headaches some good headaches in New South Wales <laughs> in particular with their forward pack and the make up their bench they've got a lot of ways they can go with the squad they've got for Queensland I think it's pretty straightforward back line game one they're devoid of options Holmes and Allen are both suspended so it's left them pretty much with Brimson at the back and then with the centre wing combos they've got to pick between Heimler Hunt, Dane Gagai, who I'm sure will be playing centres, Edric and Branko Lee, and Philip Sammy. So basically four going to five. Make yeah. of that what you will. The interesting one for um, – interesting selection for the Blues was Jerome Lua. He basically already admitted he's not going to get a game, but he's just bringing mm. for experience. But okay. Yeah, I just found it interesting. As the internet does, everyone finds things. They brought up straight away a video from 
camp with Samara a few years ago where they asked him, you know, favourite this or favourite that, who do you support in New South Wales, Queensland? He's like, Queensland. So hmm. I was like, ah, fucking the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the internet's undefeated. Yeah. You can always find something. Um, that Yeah, lots of options for, for Queensland on the other hand. He said the backs are slim. I think Holmes and Allen are more than likely to probably come in and feature game two, but I don't know. If I gave you those options, what would you be looking at with your centres? Like, I think Gagai is definitely one. But would you go Branko on the other side, Heimel, Sammy in the centres? Like it's no, I'd probably go Branko. Branko won a grand final at centre. Your wing is then, you'd have Semi on one wing and then probably between Edric and Heimel on the other. Yeah. I think Heimel played more football, probably a better yardage carry. For Edric. game one, yeah. You, I think you just pick your best defenders. Yeah, well, in that case, I'd probably pick Heimel. Mm. Um Money DC, easy of the halves. I think Papali Welch with the props. Sewer, Felice, Arrow, the back row. Nine's probably the one where I think if he wants an older head around that younger group, he might give Friend his debut. But mm. Harry Grant was so good. Do you pick him off the bench or do you start him? And if that was the case, if it was Friend or Hunt as the bench option, you, you'd think you'd probably lean towards Hunt even though you know Friend's I could play Hunt. a rough house just because Hunt can cover nine and halves. Um Bench will have Tino, Moiaki, those two guys. I think are shoe ins for that impact role. And then yeah. I guess after that, it's what else do you want? Do you want another middle? Do you pick a Collins or a Carrigan, or do you want someone who can cover back row, middle, center, like a Kurt Catewell? I think you'll pick um, Collins. Yeah, probably go with three big boppers and yeah. use Tino on edge if he has to, or reshuffle. Yeah, yeah. So probably less options yeah, there with Tino. There, he, he can cover. You can cover edge. He can cover edge, lock, and prop. So. So I think their forward pack, their young forward pack is going to be good to watch if they all come together. Back line, uh, probably a bit sketchy. And then just the nine situation, do they, which two nines do they go with, who do they start? Um, yeah, New South Wales probably more just figuring out the outside backs. But Harbs, I think, is still going to be Keary, Cleary. Any suggestion by media and people that after the grand final, Cleary's going to be burnt by that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard, yeah. in honesty, because... Why did we just complain that he didn't win the Daily M and he's been the most consistent player all year and now we're saying he's not ready after a grand final loss? Any footballer who's worth his salt would be burning and want to play as soon as possible in a game like that to get yep. the monkey off the back and prove the point. But on the flip side of that, the argument, two weeks ago they were saying Kiri was so bad they should pick Jack and then the other argument was Cody Walker's lost three prelims in a row and he can't play well in a big game. So you're saying throw Cleary out the baby out of the bathwater, who are you putting in? The media's basically torched all those other guys as well. Yeah. Saying that Kiri gets knocked out too much, Cody can't win a big game. Like, fucking hell. Quick to uh, forget. They're, week, not, they're not getting rid of him. No, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But a week ago, he was supposed to win the Dahlia medal, and now he's saying, hey, he's be burned. You can't play for Origin 1. Yeah. Fucking, you're kidding yourself. If you that listen, was, if that was the character. too many people in the media. I if don't. that's the character of the man, well, then he's not the right bloke to play halfback. But the mm. reason they made the grand final. Certainly, and what he's done in the past in Origin, younger and less experienced and with less probably strings to his bow uh, compared to what he has right now. He's more than prepared for Origin after the season he's had. So looking forward to that. That's, what, eight days away now. Mm. Next Wednesday, game one. Not far away. But there you go. We're getting close to the back end of the season. Season reviews have all done. We've done progressively. Bit of a look into the Origin. We'll do a proper preview, maybe... What day will the lineups be released next week, you think? Don't that, know. I think they're going to submit... 21. 21 by Thursday. So, so maybe do something Monday, Monday or Tuesday, Sunday. Yeah. So it gives a couple of days. Yeah, probably Monday. Have a look and then we'll just do weekly preview, review. 
for the last couple until the year's done. Yeah. Give me a few Melbourne Cup tips too. Oof, horses. This time next week. Good times. But there you go. Almost wraps us up for another week. Just remember before we go, support our sponsors, move me in. When's the last time you've checked your power or electricity bills? You'd be silly not to, in particular in these times, because it's more important than ever, as we know. Put some cash back into your pockets. We've had a few people take up the offer box head, which mm. is good. I uh, don't understand why. It's just worth a free look. If you want to save a bit on your bills, move me in. They can compare your current electricity and gas in less than two minutes. And as we say always, you don't have to talk to a call centre because who wants to fucking be on a call centre and be on hold and have terrible elevator music? It's just not a good time. But not only that, you get a better deal if you get on board for your gas and electricity. They'll also give you a $45 Domino's voucher to get a New York style like Boxhead likes, and you can get free coffees from a local participate cafe. How good's that? Save hundreds of bucks, get some free pizza, get some coffee in your gob, and uh, jump onto Facebook, click on the link for uh, Move Me In. Good yeah. times. And Penrosola, we've had a couple others inquire. Lyle Cato, if you're listening, I have no idea what happened, buddy, but the inbox disappeared. I had a uh, a company for you that Jake gave a reference from Penrosola. It was MC Electrical for the Gold Coast area if you're looking to get your solar done. So MC Electrical is the one he recommended for you. But for everybody else out there, reap the benefits at this time of year. We certainly are. And don't be sidelined by rising power bills this season. The team at Penrosola Centre are dedicated to providing Western Sydney residents with highest quality solar solutions and experience when it comes to tackling your bills. Look no further than PSC. They'll get you over the line, save you thousands this season in your energy costs. Call 1800 2029 today or visit au and talk to Jake and the crew. But there you go. We're on the home stretch box head, but the 2020 NRL Premiership has been wrapped up. Premiership. Premiership. We've had stop, start, COVID, bubbles, a couple of mishaps along the way, plenty of injuries, plenty of ups and downs, you a few mention, surprises. Um, you didn't mention Brandon Smith's nice little quip at Hoops. Oh, how good. I'm all got lost, but Brent, anyone, if you've not been on Instagram or any the last few days, just look up Brandon Smith. There's clips everywhere. He's been fucking on fire. He's the king. The bloke is the loosest cannon. Love it. The Dion Waiters impersonation was the funniest thing I've ever seen. They had him yesterday... With towels on his legs, hammered, still wearing the goggles, stroking the trophy like a baby while singing Country Road. Great. Um, the Dion Waiters thing was classic. They're trying to hate on cheese. Yeah. I ain't no Philly cheese. I ain't no bubble cheese. They call me Double C. I'm the champ cheese. He's well, the king. Well, and the photo to Hooper, absolutely classic. 26 reasons to hate us, you little baldy. Promotion, promotion. Hoops. And what... Buzz, Buzz came out last night, mate. Mate, you don't like Melbourne. Just admit it. You don't. Yeah. Well, the answer really is a pineapple hoops. Straight up the inners. Well, the thing I didn't get as well, saying like, you know... Congrats... Comes out with his rubbish article Congratulations, that's a trophy you can keep. Well, the last three they've won, they could fucking keep you it. Yeah. Like, seriously. He's got some problems with his brain, that bloke. Yeah. Let it go. He would have been hating the weekend. Not yeah, only does he hates not like, Cleary. doesn't like Melbourne, he doesn't like off Cleary. It would have been an absolute nightmare yeah. for hoops. He would have been in a dark room punching the shit out of himself. Just not a good not a good situation to arc it up and spark it arc up. He up would have been on up. his sea do to get away and get there. He would have been on the sea do with his phone turned off and the oh, radio turned off. Just going 
I uh, got some text messages from the Melbourne club and I had it on, do not disturb. Yep, good. Well, if you're going to fire a couple of bullets, expect them back, big boy. That's right. If you're going to stand behind the gun. That's the game. Yep, they zing both ways, young man. Actually, last thing before we go, and I found this interesting. Yeah. Odds for next year. So I don't think it's oh, any Jesus, surprise. Really? Penrith, the favourites, five Full bucks. Price, five bucks, yeah. The Rooters, six Dara. The Melbourne Storm, six Bipti. South, six Bipti with Arrow and possibly another move coming. Raiders at $10. Uh, Hodgson to come back on board. What price are the Titans? The Gold Coast, well, you're in the top eight according to the futures odds. You're $17. Okay. So what do they got? Yeah, two, four, six. They've Manly's fifteen dollars. That that one surprises me. Please don't see that. Newcastle seventeen. Uh, Cows, Sharks, Tigers, Warriors, Broncos. I think the bottom end's pretty fair, but I think that top five or six again will be pretty similar. Penrith, what? Roosters, Melbourne, South. Who's who's right last? Dogs are rank outsiders at sixty-seven dollars. Wow. Dragons, Broncos, 41 apiece. The Warriors at 31. They're, they're, I think they're going to go all right. Mm. Maybe probably closer to the fringe of the eight. Uh, I think the only question, like we said again, if they're full bubble situation again, can they back it up? Because that was a hell of an effort this yeah, year. Yeah, and can Nathan Brown do a good a job as Todd Payton? Well, that's the question. If they go back into that bubble situation, though, will it be just like Pressure's really? on Brownie. He's had... Again? He's been in a few clubs, so needs to deliver. Well, there you go. Penrith, no real surprise. And as far as Origin next week, at the moment, the odds just keep getting shorter and shorter. New South Wales are now into a dollar twenty-eight. Queensland, three seventy-five. New South Wales to win the series three nil, two twenty-five, two one, two thirty. For Queensland to pull off the upset, two one, four fifty. Or if you're picking up three nil, twenty-six buckaroos. Should be a hundred to one, three nil Queensland. That is massive odds. But uh, yeah, I think that's. Is it really? 26 to 1. 26 bucks for 3 0. Yeah, but it's. That's, yeah. that's huge. Can't see it happening. Nah, you'd probably think, like you said, maybe should bigger be odds. Should be 100 to 1. That's, that's the biggest margin, I think, in head to head markets we've seen in a long time. Dollar, in origin. Dollar 28 to 375. Yeah. That's, that's pretty hefty. Yeah. They are missing a lot of guys that obviously opted out or have injuries or surgeries, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's the biggest gap I, I think I can remember in an origin market in the last decade. Mm. At least. But there you go. 2020 premieres, Melbourne Storm. Correct, Amundo. Penrith Panthers, seven in a row. Hopefully come back burning next year. The Roosters, how do they reshape after getting rid of their halfback? The Canberra Raiders, do they keep building on the development from this year and that situation and the growth in their halves and the return of Hodgson? Parramatta, what do they do? Can they take a step forward? Do they take a step back? There's lots of questions, but this one this year, they said there was going to be an asterisk next to it and it wasn't going to uh, have to be, you know, be a lesser of a competition. I think much the opposite for anyone. That, that that old theory went out the window real quick. This was a very difficult year for everybody involved and a lot of clubs were outstanding. Some handled it better than others, but um, I think overall 2020 was a great competition. Yeah, it, was it was a good, good year. There was a lot of good to come from it, but yes, our premieres in the end. The Melbourne Storm, uh, and the question mark remains, and we'll find out, I guess, in the next few weeks, what happens with Cameron Smith. Mm. So, for now, enjoy your week. No rugby league, but we'll be back next week for the State of Origin preview. Derby day on Saturday, baby. Oof. Well, you got a tip before we go or not? Nah. Nah, nothing for now? No. Nah. If you, we're going to have a bet tomorrow, if people are listening. 
There you go. What's that? Bendigo Cup. Bendigo Cup, yeah. Masaf, the 12 in the Bendigo Cup. Good odds. Um, and there's one early in the day, race four, number 12, Rock Profit. Go and have your house on it. Your house on it? Yeah, I unleashed on it early this afternoon. So. Wow. I got $4.40. When I last checked, it was into $3.50. So. Oh, heavy. Yeah, I've, I've slapped it. I've slapped it around. I would have been slapping it a little bit harder if Penrith had won the comp, but it um, cost me two grand, the Penny Panthers. Thank you. Oof. hundred on them at 19. But anyway, covered me a bit with Melbourne, but... Fair enough. Um, I certainly didn't go... Uh, didn't win that much on Melbourne because I think we got Melbourne at seven fifty. It's fifty bucks on it, so it's a nice little winner, but better than nothing. Yeah. What do you do? Not much you can do. It's gone now. Yeah. But there you go. We'll speak to you all next week. Uh maybe Sunday or Monday, depending on when the lineups come out and we'll do a bit of an origin preview and then week to week until we finished preview reviews until the season's done and then we'll have uh, a well earned rest. It's been a long year. Lots of been. lots of extra shows in that COVID period when we didn't know what was going on, but it's been uh, it's been a good year. So for now, everyone, enjoy your weekend, and uh, look forward to talking Origin with you next week. Bring it on! Give us more! Give us more! Where are you going? Where? What's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.